if your business depends on you, you don't own a business, you have a job. And it's the worst job in the world because you're working for a lunatic. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? All right, so I brought my business partner on today. We're trying a new series that I'm pretty excited about that I'm calling Iconic Reads. It's a, uh, it's a working title, but basically, Jonathan and I, we read a lot of stuff and some stuff just really resonates and we want to share it. And we think these are timeless pieces. So Jonathan, welcome. Glad to have you here. And first, what do you think of the working title, Iconic Reads? Do we love it? Do we hate it? Uh, iconic Reads is a very iconic title. So it definitely works. Yeah, we'll workshop it with the team. But today's episode is about a blog post, actually, not a book, a blog post called Lazy Leadership by Andrew Wilkinson. So Andrew Wilkinson, he started off, I believe, as the co-founder CEO of Meta Labs, which is a design agency that worked with companies like Slack, grew to become very big. He now has a micro private equity firm called Tiny, and he's made a lot of portfolio investments of, I believe, over 30 companies. He has one company that's publicly traded. But the reason why I like this article is because he really walks the walk and he's proven that you can actually delegate this. But any other context on Andrew Wilkinson you'd want to give? Yeah, Andrew Wilkinson is definitely an original thinker. He's someone who like, I've been listening to his podcast for a very long time, reading his articles, just following the man. And you can tell that he takes inspiration from other like people who are also original thinkers. But I think the way he uh, you know, creates his own flavor of their thinking is very interesting. But uh, yeah, I, definitely someone I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about. Yeah, and I feel like you and I, it's not like we discovered him before anybody else, but I feel like he's become very well known. And I think we were reading his stuff well before then. It's almost like when you discover the artists before they blow up and you want to get credit for it before they went mainstream. But that's how I feel about Andrew Wilkinson's content. Yeah, and his just everything about it. It's not just his thinking, but also the way he structured his company, Tiny Capital, uh, which makes small investments in companies, uh, sometimes wholly owned, sometimes part owned. but just the whole setup is quite interesting. He does things that you'd think that you just wouldn't think are possible, right? Like a small company, a small firm that he built with his own capital, not necessarily raising money from like external investors. And then he started it initially running his own business, which again, makes it interesting because it's actually, he's actually an operator. So when you look at all these things, you don't necessarily find many other people like that. So he's very unique in that sense. Glad to talk about him today. Yeah, almost a counterintuitive approach to business that's worked extremely well, and it's very much energizing. So I want to talk, we're going to go about this in a few different ways. We want to talk about the main takeaways. There's some really strong quotes in this that I want to hit on. Talk about what we agree about with the blog post, what we don't disagree with, why it's iconic, and then finally, who should read this and when they should read it. But one thing I want to talk about is, I remember finding this article and it's like when you find the right piece of content at the right stage of your career where it just hits home in a really amazing and or painful way. I was when you're like laying in bed and the wheels start turning in your head and you just can't turn it off and it's two o'clock and you're just searching the internet for answers. I remember stumbling upon this and reading it and being like, oh my God, 
he hit it on the head. This is my life. I need to do everything that he said. But that was my first impression of it. And I think I read it like four times after it. But I don't know if you remember whenever you read this the first time. You know, I remember exactly the first time. And the first time I read this, I I felt like he was going to convert it into a book and it was going to become a movement. You know, like those uh, bloggers who hit on something, like the one that comes to mind is 30 pieces in 30 days or like 30 pieces in 30 days. There's this lady who teaches people how to pick their closets. It's a completely unrelated field, but she was a simple blog post with a catchy headline and she converted it into a movement, uh, built an entire business around it. But lazy leadership has, the audience is so big for it and there's a desperate need for the message that I was I was expecting a book out of it, and maybe it will come down the line, but that was my reaction initially. It wasn't even the content. It was like I was looking at the larger picture of what the guy was trying to achieve, and I was really impressed with what could potentially happen. It really is a good book title. It has that aspirational but clever feel to it, kind of like the four-hour work week, where it's two kind of different things, like lazy and leadership together. But yeah, he needs to trademark that, make that a book, make that a course, make that a TV show. But I think he's doing all right in other regards. So. Let's talk like at a 30,000 foot view. What are some of the big takeaways with this blog post as you remove yourself from it after a few days of reading it? Like here are the main takeaways that I have is first, entrepreneurship is delegation is what he hits on. It's about firing yourself from task. The second big takeaway that I have is this idea of you don't have to grind yourself to work until 3 a.m., but it's really about working smart, not necessarily working harder. The third thing is he really hits on building a machine that doesn't necessarily involve you. And the other takeaway that isn't as direct, but in order to do this, you have to have A players on your team or this doesn't work. But those were some of my big takeaways from this. What comes to mind for you? Yeah, so quite a few things. There some like obviously overlap, but the whole idea of writing recipes and not making pies, I think definitely hit me. And that's like you're building the systems, the process. And the example, like in his first company was Idea Lab or Meta Lab, I should say. They're doing creative work and it's non-repeatable work. It's very like one-off specific to those needs, but they built a process around that, which I think lends support to the idea that you can build a process around anything. So building a process Writing recipes and not making the pies, I definitely, I would say, is number one. Number two is definitely putting the right people on the right seats. You put the right, that is what gives you the ability to step away from the business and look at it as a machine. Without that, you would always end up inevitably doing the work uh, that you're not supposed to be doing. And then finally, which actually was very interesting to me, is just the way he thought about metrics. You'd usually think about a company that reports on its financials and all is well, but he has this system where he looks at these leading indicators, qualitative metrics as well. It just gives you a more accurate like 360 view of the business. And that allows him to monitor the business at a distance and gives him confidence that the business is doing well. And and when any one of those metrics go off a little bit, he knows how to address the problem. But I thought that was very interesting. And I think one of the, probably one of the most underrated, and I think a first time visitor would probably completely neglect that area of the blog. But for me, it made a lot of sense and definitely something on it. Yeah, because if you're going to remove yourself, you still have to have a finger on the pulse of what's going on. And those tracking those um, inputs or leading indicators is everything. Yet to your point on recipes, it's so true because I've been guilty of that. Like with our own company, as we do something and you think about delegating, like I remember being like, nope, nobody else can do this. This is my secret sauce. How could I ever train this? 
And then as you actually start to create procedures or hire people smarter than you to do a task, you, you get a nice piece of humble pie. You're like, oh, wow, actually, that person has a, a better idea than I would have thought of. And like, crap, they can actually do it better. But it's sad how long it took to get to that point. That's spot on. Yeah. So let's talk about our favorite quotes from this. So I've I ripped out essentially five that I want to get your thoughts on that I think are the best from this. And first off, I would even call the title of this blog post in the first subhead a very iconic quote. And it says, lazy leadership, why I rarely go to the office, only see my team a couple times a week and let other people make important decisions. Like that out of the gate is a hook that I was like, I'm all in on reading every word of this article. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I was actually going to say that as well, but I knew you were going to hit on that one. So I left it out. Another one that I like, because it's almost hitting on the four hour work week, which has a lot of similarities to this, where he says, lazy leadership isn't about sitting in a hammock all day or working four hours, a four hour work week from Costa Rica. It's about taking a step back, leaning on your team and becoming an observer instead of an active participant in your business. So as he's defining this, he's kind of putting in context of what my initial thought was like, oh, awesome, another version of four-hour work week, let's do this. The third one that I have is the first line that I actually have written this down because it's so true, but it's just entrepreneurship is just a fancy word for delegation. And I was like, wow, that, that nails it on the head for me. And I know it's something you and I talk about quite a bit. Yeah, I actually want to hit on the previous one. I had that one down as well. That was the second one I had. And the part that really stood out to me is becoming an observer instead of an active participant in your business. The idea of an observer, someone looking at the business, so like actually at a 30,000 foot view is like definitely stood out to me. So yeah, I like that one. I actually want to hit on one that maybe you haven't hit on. It's actually a quote within. So this is Wilkinson quoting Michael Gerber, who's the author of The E-Myth. And he's the one I think who definitely was the uh, taught the previous generation of entrepreneurs to think about building machines rather than being in the business uh, where your job has like infinite scope. So the quote is, if your business depends on you, you don't own a business, you have a job and it's the worst job in the world because you're working for a lunatic. So I'm so glad you mentioned that one that needs to be like framed and put on my wall. It, it's a really good one. And, and that actually outside the lazy leadership intro might be the best quote. The last one that I have is give up on the idea that you have to drive yourself into the ground in order to run a successful company and thinking about your business as a machine that you design and optimize instead of becoming a worn out cog within it. Like for me, someone that like started their career investment banking, you get trained to just work hard, pull all nighters, make it happen. And yeah, you might need to do that sometimes, but to make a big business, that's actually the worst thing you could do. So when he said this, I was like, oh crap, maybe I need to change my approach to it. But I love that one. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, this is the counterintuitive angle, right? Where like hashtag hustle trends on all these social media platforms and the world of Gary Vee, like you're working yourself to death and People are taking Instagram posts of like their watch at like 4.30 a.m. in the morning. Like when all that is fashionable, his idea that you're supposed to think hard and work smart is very novel. And that's, I think, why this whole post stands out so much. So true. I don't like you taking a crack at my boy Jocko, but yeah. That's a... Okay, Any what other quotes? Did we miss anything? No, I think you hit on all of them, actually. I mean, I mean if you go all out, I mean, you could we could essentially break out the entire blog post into like single sentences and mention those because everything is quotable on the blog post. 
everything stands out. Everything has a meaning. I don't think there are any wasted words or yeah, like dead space in, in the blog post for sure. No, totally. All right. So what do we agree with? We kind of already hit on a lot of things we agree with, but I had three that really stood out that, that resonated. So first was this idea of a delegation barrier. So he talks about some entrepreneurs never break through the delegation barrier and get stuck along the way. They try hiring someone when that person doesn't behave or act like they would, they jump in and take over. And that is so true because it's easy to talk about delegation, but to put it into action and have somebody actually do it to where you trust them and you can remove yourself is so hard. And so when he put a phrase to it, I was like, yep, I totally agree with that. So that's the first one that I have. Yeah, so my first one is actually an exceptional leader builds a company that functions without them. And I was actually scared to put this one in here because if you look at all the iconic founders or entrepreneurs that everyone looks up to, essentially go down the Forbes 400 list, right? Those people are all in the business, right? They've led it since day one. They are the figureheads of the company. Yet he is suggesting the idea of exceptional leaders building companies that function without them. So there's a little contradiction there, but I still agree with it, at least for the kind of companies we're talking about, the size and scale. This is definitely something that makes sense because at our scale, I think the bigger issue is removing yourself. It's definitely not an issue of like the person being a figurehead and trying to grow a company to like infinite scale. So I still agree with that statement that an exceptional leader builds a company that functions. I'm glad you put that one in there. I struggle with that one because you do need to get out of the weeds so you can work on the business rather than in the business. But then you hear the stories of like Bezos is still working on the Amazon.com homepage and has opinions on it. It's like, when do you get into the minutia and to the details and when do you step back? So it's kind of nice because you're right, this is almost different to what a lot of people say. Yeah. The next one I had is building the machine and the machine cannot involve you. So he says he determines the result he wants, build a machine that can get that result and figure out who are the people and what spots do they need to put them in, almost removing your emotion from it. Because if you look at it like it's your baby, man, you're going to jump into all the weeds and you're not going to run a machine. You're going to be in the machine. You are the machine, essentially. I love that framework that he used for it. Yeah, I agree 100%. I remember, I think this this idea of a machine, by the way, came from Ray Dalio. And I remember reading the book that now just became Principles back when it was still a PDF and was being shared around on Reddit and all that stuff. And it was just a very novel idea of keeping, like, seeing yourself as a third party observer on this machine you're building and looking at all the pieces and parts and only getting involved to fix the parts, not so much to go in and do the work that those people are supposed to be doing. So that idea was very novel. And actually, if you think about the whole machine, I'm getting a little off topic here, but it's not just the way to build a business. Actually, if you think about it, it's like also the way to build your life, right? So you can always be a third-party observer building this machine that produces the results you want. And yeah, so that's definitely something that resonates with me. Yeah, that's a really good call to Ray Dalio. And he even mentioned the blog post, but yeah, it's, it's pretty spot on. The last one that I have is like you as a CEO, you still need to do things but delegate everything other than the thing that only you can uniquely do well. So for him, he talks about his actions should be around culture, should be around running the machine, the process. And the thing you mentioned, the results and those leading indicators that he's tracking. So while he frees up his time, it's to focus on those things that he's uniquely positioned to do. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What else? Anything else that we need to call out that are like the pillars that we agree with? I think we agree with all the principles. It would just be, I think, listing out pretty much 
uh, everything that he has on the blog post. But these are definitely the big main points that the machine, for sure, the leader and how they're supposed to be uh, building a company that functions without them. I think there's one statement I just wanted to add in here as well. Ask yourself, what would happen to your company if you went on vacation for six months? And I think this is the asset test, right? If you've built something that's supposed to function without you, and you could technically go on a vacation or sabbatical for any given period of time and have peace of mind knowing that the machine is going to operate properly. I mean, you can maybe even do just check-ins, but yeah, this is definitely the asset test, right? At the end of this process, if you ask this question and you don't get the, the response you want, then you're definitely not a lazy leader. Yeah, I'm definitely exposed as a fraud when I read that one because I just I get nervous thinking about leaving for a week. So I'm yeah, I'm like a white belt when it comes to lazy leadership. So yeah, that was a good one. All right. So let's talk about what we don't agree with. So I'm a little nervous to hit on this first one because I think I'm about to say there's no Santa Claus, but is Andrew a liar? Because he even talks about it here that he's actually a workaholic. And that he, at the very beginning, is, oh, I don't really start working till 10. And I've also heard him on other podcasts, like how hard he works. I'm like, I think he's a fraud. Is this a big lie and a big scam? I don't want to believe it, but that's what I'm saying, that maybe I don't agree with this because he's freeing up time, but he's just becoming a workaholic in something else. But let me know. I might not even publish this. I don't want to burn any bridges with the, the followers of Andrew, but is he a liar? Yeah, you actually very, that's a solid point that I agree 100%. But I think what's happening in his case is he has freed up his time knowing that these companies that he owns are operating without his day-to-day involvement because they're run by solid people. And he's allocating his time to like higher level thinking and strategizing and planning. So even though it might look like his calendar is packed, it's still on higher level, the high level activities that only he can do. I'm sure you've heard of Warren Buffett sitting in a room by himself and like reading, I think it was 5,000 words a day or something like that, or 5,000 pages, some crazy number. Like all he does is sits there and just reads and informs himself. So he has the right tools to make the best decisions. So it's not like lazy leadership does not necessarily mean you're lazy, you're on a beach and you're doing absolutely nothing. It's that you're using your time better for higher level things and you're not in the business. You're like working on it. So that's my only, that's how I would explain away is uh, that he's a liar. Okay, so Santa's real and the Easter Bunny's real. All is right with the world. I, I agree with that. Yeah, I saw him talking about the idea of getting to calendar zero where he has no scheduled meetings. Yeah. And I'm like, man, if he gets to that level, he's like a, a black belt with all the stripes on it or what, whatever. But yeah, very, very impressive stuff. For sure. All right, what, what do you have that you don't agree with? I have one other, but I want to hear yours. Yeah, so what I disagree with, and this one was difficult, to be honest with you, I really had to go back through the article again and again to try to help. But I wonder if lazy leadership is possible in all scenarios. Obviously, the example he gives is like, he has this creative agency, uh, where it's like their digital product company. And that, I think that's a very good example, because that's where there's a lot of creativity involved. And can you build a process around that? And can all entrepreneurs do that? And I wonder if there's scenarios uh, where something like lazy leadership is just not possible. Is it really a one-size-fit-all solution? Uh, I don't know. And that's, I think, that, that's probably the one area where I would say that his prescription of lazy leadership for essentially all entrepreneurs could be a little flawed. And I wonder what scale, is this, is this infinitely scalable? Or, I mean, for companies of all scales? Or is this specifically for the entrepreneur who's just starting, maybe reaching a certain revenue number, but is so so entrenched in the business that it feels like they have a job with with infinite scope. 
or is it for that person? So who is this exactly for? That's that's like a higher level question I have around this. But yeah, that's literally my only disagreement with this, but everything else is solid in my opinion. That's a good call out. Is this just agency specific for, for a specific business model, or maybe it's only for people that want to do this micro private equity model, or maybe it could be applicable to everybody. I agree. That leads to my last disagreement. It's not really a disagreement, but it's more of, I feel like we're getting a writing sample of something that should be much bigger. Like I read this and I wanted more. I'm like, I need more details on delegation barrier. I need more details on where this did not work, where you delegated, where it did work, where you delegated. So I disagree with the fact that the life of lazy leadership and its movement ended with this blog post and let's pull up the exact date on June 15th, 2016. Where it's 2021 and we have no sequel. We have nothing and I'm depressed about it. So that's what I disagree with. This, we need to start like a, a Reddit forum for lazy leadership and go all in on the swag and the stock and make it happen. Absolutely. And actually, that could be your in with Andrew Wilkinson. Maybe <laughs> value to him. She just proposed that you'll do everything. Like you'll do the marketing, you'll write the book, you even find like authors who could do it. And you could be the leader of the movement, Jim. So all is not lost on that front. But if I'm really going to do that, I've got to delegate that to other people to do the work. And so, yeah, we got to figure that one out. Crap. I came and delegate our stuff right now. So I think uh, it might fall flat on its head. Okay, so here's the big question. Why is this iconic? I think what makes this very iconic, very similar to like the four-hour work week, it's a very counterintuitive in this day and age where being successful, achieving big things is equated with throwing in like 100 plus hours, doing insane things, overworking, balancing many responsibilities. And here comes this guy that says, think hard, work smart. And by, you know, delegating, being very smart, by building a machine that's outside of you, and you're like, making sure the machine operates well, where you're not actually in it is a very novel idea. It's the novelty, I think, that makes this iconic. It's a very counterintuitive approach to work, but potentially even in life as well. So that's my big take on that. All right, that was much more thoughtful than what I had. I think this is iconic, because the headline is killer. Lazy leadership. It's two words. It's two L's. There's so much you can do with it. I mean, if this would have been titled how to run a successful business while delegating to your A players, I don't know if it would have done as well. So I, I think the headline is why this is iconic, but your answer was much more thoughtful. Yeah, and I agree. Like it's definitely packaged well. And I think the best ideas, the ideas that stick, the ideas that like resonate are have to be packaged well. He's definitely done that. So hats off to him. I mean, I always struggle with this idea of branding. Like sometimes it's like a brand. It doesn't matter what the name is. It's all about the product, like something like Nike. It's, it doesn't really matter. Other times when you nail the name, man, it just, it really puts gasoline on the fire. I think this one is one of those cases like the latter. Yeah. All right. So final question, who should read this? And just as importantly, when should they read this? So this really feels like the e-myth Michael Gerber I mentioned earlier. He wrote a book, I don't know how long ago, but I think his target audience were people of a previous generation. And lazy leadership is written for people of our generation, people who are like overachievers, who want to do a lot, who find themselves in like an endless loop of tasks. And this is the guide to getting out, like taking a 30,000 foot view of what's happening and building a machine. So I see this more of 
for entrepreneurs who have already started. Actually, if you read this even before you start, I think you probably have a leg up on other people. But it's entrepreneurs who are in the who are in the weeds, and this is the light at the end of the tunnel, essentially. So it's those are the people I have as the target audience. But quite frankly, I don't see any reason why. Um, like, there's a lot of value to be had by anyone for that matter. So, but that would be the main target audience. Yeah, I totally agree with the target audience. I'm going to push back when you should read this. I don't think you read it before you start something because you'll, re- you'll read it. That's a cool post. I think that's helpful. I think you need to read it when you start hitting those growing pains where you're literally doing everything and you don't think you can trust everybody and you're about to have a mental breakdown and then lazy leadership slides into your DMs and you read it and you're like, there is hope, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe because that's exactly when I read it. But that's what I think. But it's hard to know that maybe it's finding CEOs that do Google searches at 3 a.m. That's when they need to be reading it. Yeah. yeah. But imagine if the gym of five years ago had this or imagine how you'd have approached growth it differently or even any other venture for that matter. It would have been a complete game changer. I don't know if it would have resonated that much to you because now the pain is so obvious, right? With like all the opportunities that this shows. But yeah, I guess there is still some value to be had then as well. You're right. We could be rolling around in the growth at IPO money and things would be much better if I would have read this earlier. Um, well, cool, man. Well, this was fun. I hope people get something out of it and they actually read it. And uh, yeah, man, any other takeaways? Nope. Yeah, you should definitely read this. This is a game changer for sure. All right, cool. We'll, we'll get off of our Andrew Wilkinson Soapbox fan club, but that was pretty fun. But thanks, Jonathan. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. Have a good one. Today's episode is brought to you by no one. Yep, we have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money. But I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. Growth Hit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, Growthit has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out growthhit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman.